for 30 plus years. I've seen every type of child grow up. Instead of giving me what I wanted, she gave me what I needed, which was truth. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. Do your very best, and you should have a lot of fun while you do it. And the better you get at something, the more fun you're going to have at something. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 14, Helping Your Kids Dream Big. I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker, and I hope that you are having as much fun with these podcasts as I am. You know, we're really hitting it out of the park, and we're seeing that a lot of you are listening in and downloading, and I want to encourage you, write a review. Let us know what you think about the podcast. You know, I don't want this to be just a one-way exchange. I want to know what you think, what you want, what you like. I really want to hear from you. You know, young children, middle school kids, teens, and even adults dream about who they'll become someday. We'll hear a story today about one man's dreams and how pursuing his dreams challenged everything his parents taught him. His story illuminates how a child's dreams can seemingly oppose the core values that parents teach their children. And most importantly, his story shows how parents can respond in ways that keep their kids on track in the most important areas of life. And that man I'll be talking to is my guest, David A.R. White, author of Between Heaven and Hollywood, and producer and actor in the blockbuster movie, God's Not Dead. Also, I'll be featuring a social media question about a three-and-a-half-year-old boy who won't listen to his parents 100% of the time. That's going to be a good one for all of us. As always, I'll share my points to ponder for you so you can get working on something right away. And finally, parents, as a reminder, please don't just download these episodes, click subscribe. And when you do that, you'll be joining my parenting revolution and every new episode will automatically show up in your subscribed list. You won't regret it. So let me ask you a question. Have you signed up for my e-newsletter? If you go to megmeekermd.com, I have a special gift for you. Plus, we'll keep in touch. I've got a brand new book coming out next spring, and we'll be announcing it along with some special giveaways to those on my email list first. So parents, thanks for listening. This is episode 14. Stay with us. Let me share with you my three points to ponder. And remember, as I go through these points to ponder, we're going to be talking about how you help your kids dream bigger dreams. Because David A.R. White is going to talk to us later about how he pursued his dream and his parents' role in helping him pursue his dream. And every parent wants to help their child discover their gifts and pursue their dream every single parent. So let's dive into my points to ponder. The first is learn to know your child very well. As you think about what his dreams are and wanting to encourage him to dream bigger and to pursue his dreams, it's important that you understand what those dreams are. And the only way you learn what those dreams are is to get to know your child very well. Listen to their hearts. Hear their dreams. Let them talk. Watch to see what their strengths and weaknesses are so that you can be realistic about them. 
encourage your kids to pursue their own form of greatness, but don't get specific until they're a whole lot older. You don't want to pigeonhole your kids too early, if you will. You know, many kids who are seven or eight or nine will say, I want to go to the Olympics in gymnastics. And then you put them in gymnastics class uh, year round and they go to the gym at four in the morning and they work and they work. And then finally they realize around 10, oh, they really don't like gymnastics. So when they're early, even if they have dreams of going going to the Olympics in a certain sport when they're very young, encourage them to keep their minds open. Encourage them to dabble in other things and pursue other avenues too, because there's a very good chance that they change their mind as they get older. And you really don't want them to feel locked in too early. I see a lot of kids who burn out in sports, in some type of sport, by 7th or 8th grade. And by that time, many of those kids feel it's a little too late to take on a new sport, a new musical instrument, or a new interest. Of course it isn't. But just be wary for that. Second, encourage your kids to pursue goodness. You will hear in my interview with David him talk about how his parents encouraged him to do the right thing and to follow God's path and always seek God's will. Encourage your kids to pursue goodness, to pursue what's good and right, and their dreams will follow. All children want to do something that matters. Kids want to grow up feeling that they have a purpose, that there's a reason for their life, something that gives them a sense of accomplishment. But many times they don't want to do this through self-aggrandizement or pursuing things that won't lead to happiness. We don't want to teach our kids to do that. So gently guide them in their passions, but keep the focus on using their energies and gifts on doing good that will help others. In other words, don't let them become too self-absorbed in their dreams that will only be self-serving. Ideally, if you help them pursue goodness, they're going to pursue dreams that will have a broader impact on other people, not just themselves. And the best way to do that is to work on their character and encourage them to pursue what's good and right. And third, encourage them to pursue dreams that use their natural gifts. It's very interesting. Many parents and many kids don't know what their gifts are because sometimes it takes time for those gifts to sort of bubble to the surface or it takes time for their gifts to uh, mature to the point where we can actually see that they're good. They're not just a novelty, but they're actually getting better and better with age and time and work. Many kids want to be professional athletes, but they have no talent in that specific sport. So it's very important if you find that by age 10 or 11, your child really doesn't have any good good baseball skills, and his baseball skills are actually getting worse rather than better, but he wants to be a pro baseball player, it might be a good time to encourage him to broaden his dream and to steer him in a little bit of a different direction. It's hard for parents, but it's really important to be honest with yourself and to be honest with your kids and what they're good at and what they're not good at, because you're really going to set your kids up to fail if you encourage them to pursue something that they're really not very gifted in. You got to be honest with yourself and your child and don't encourage them to pursue things that maybe you want him to be good in and he wants to be good in, but he's really not talented in. Help him find things he's really good at 
help him find where his talents lie, and they may lie in places that you can't recognize and that maybe he can't even recognize. Maybe you want his talents to be in the athletic arena, but they're really in the arts. Or maybe you want his talents to be in the arts, but they're really in an academic arena. Work with your kids. Study with your kids. Give them opportunities to dabble in all sorts of different ventures to figure out what really gets the juices going in them and where are their passions. And and not only where are they passionate, but what are they really good at? Because once you can help find where your child's natural gifts are, their God-given talents, then you will help them find greater contentment in life because they will feel more satisfied as they use those natural gifts. So those are my three points. Learn to know your child very well. Encourage your child to pursue goodness and encourage him to or her to pursue dreams that will utilize his or her natural gifts. So parents, listen in now on a conversation I had with David A.R. White. My guest today is David A.R. White, and he has a brand new book called Between Heaven and Hollywood. He is the co-founder of Pure Flix, and you may know him by his roles in the blockbuster movie God's Not Dead. David, thanks for being with me. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You bet. And I really kind of want to talk about your failures right off the bat, because when we, you know, think about you and we think about here's a man who has pursued a dream. We think about pursuing a dream as sort of magical and wonderful and easy, and and God just reveals this inside of you, and it all just kind of comes out of you, and it's wonderful. But pursuing a dream doesn't come that way. It comes after you've experienced a lot of failure and stuff. Can you share a personal perspective of a time of when when you experienced a personal failure? <laughs> nice way to start off, yeah, huh? Jump right good. in. You know what? I think everybody has experienced failure in, in a lot of ways, you know? Um, there's so often every, you know, even from when we're young, we have these ideas and, and, um, or, and these dreams inside of us that, that we think that we have to look, achieve, do something, you know, very specific. And, uh, and a lot of times life doesn't work that way. Life doesn't end up exactly what we think it should be. You know, that's one of the things that makes life, I don't know, great to live in a way because it's not exactly what you think it will be. But oftentimes, you know, I'm a strong believer that if we live God's dream for our lives, it will be better than what we could ever imagine. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. But a lot of people don't want to pursue a God-given dream because they're afraid. What do you think they're afraid of? Well, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, uh, oftentimes we're just, uh, the f- fear is just something that cripples us. Um, I just think that, that uh, it's, it's funny because, you know, when you're stuck doing something in your life that you'd rather not be doing, mm-hmm. for me, I worked on a farm. You know, I'm from a small town outside of Dodge City, Kansas. And, um, you know, I, when I was sitting on a tractor, um, <laughs> you realize, you find yourself thinking most about what you would prefer to be doing. And that's the irony. That's when I came up with this, you know, that started looking inside of me of, of having dreams to, to go into the entertainment industry, to be an actor, to, to, you know, produce, to work in film. 
And, um, but it wasn't until I was doing something that I really didn't want to be doing. And I think that's, that's, that's part of the, you know, fear. So often we're afraid of these fears that come into our life, but at the same time, if we can embrace them, um, that's when victory and that's when we can overcome the courage is not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The triumph and plowing right through it. I should back up and give our listeners a little background on you. Uh, you're a successful actor and producer in Hollywood, um, but by Hollywood standards, you're an enigma. Um, you wrote Between Heaven and Hollywood, but you didn't start out in Hollywood, and you didn't go to school in New York. You grew up as a Mennonite, and I don't imagine that when your parents were raising you as a Mennonite, they looked at you at as an 8-year-old, a 12-year-old, or 15-year-old and thought, my son's going to grow up and be an actor in Hollywood one day. When did you begin to feel that dream start to bubble inside of you, like, you know what, I want something different? You said you were sitting on a tractor, would you drive your tractor around and go dream of yourself being an actor or producing movies? Or what did you start to dream about first? Well, I, first of all, I, like you said, I grew up as a Mennonite. And, um, you know, there's the joke that, I, that the Mennonites make the Mormons look like a pack of hell's angels. <laughs> I've never heard you that. Know, That's good. The Mennonites, uh, you know, I grew up conservative. I saw one movie in the theater the first 18 years of my life. Wow. So, yeah, I was probably the least likely candidate. You know, some people write articles on me and they, they, <laughs> they, they talk about that. And they, you know, um, but... That's the thing that's, I think, so amazing about God and, and, and how he places these things inside of us um, to pursue them and to, to chase after them, you know, which is why I wrote Between Heaven and Hollywood, Chasing Your God-Given Dream. Yeah. We didn't even have a drama department really growing up. I think I was in two musicals my entire, you know, between 7th and 12th grade. Um, every two or three years we would have a, uh, you know, we'd kind of do, they'd have at least like musicals. There was no drama program. I never had any of those classes or, or, you know, um, like kids, so many kids today, it's a whole different story with, with, you know, the Disney channel and Nickelodeon and there's all these TV shows that are on, you know, I mean, back when I was growing up and I don't know about the same with you is. You know, we had two channels and uh, ABC and I think it was CBS and then NBC every now and then would come through, but it was very blurry. So <laughs> I didn't watch a lot of TV nope. growing up either. Yeah. Um, but again, I, I, and I, and it made no sense other than I had this, you know, I had this dream to perform. I loved from what I had seen of the glimpses of movies, I was, I was drawn to them. I was drawn to storytelling. Mm -hmm. And for that, that's, you know, that's, that's where it came from. As a kid, you felt this desire to perform and you realized that this wasn't consistent with maybe your parents' values or the lifestyle that you were being raised in. Were you nervous to sort of expose to your parents, gee whiz, um, I think my dreams are going to take me in a very different direction from my current lifestyle. Did that make you nervous? Yeah. And, and it wasn't even like, you know, some people have these dreams to be actors, you know, and they are, they're like cardboard cutout of what they should be. They, they're, they look a certain way. They look like a model. They look like, um, you know, they have singing, dancing. They have all these gifts. And I didn't really have that. I had moved from Minnesota to Kansas when I was 12. And, um, you know, and for me, it wasn't, it wasn't a comfortable deal at all. In fact, I, I, it was very hard for me to, to figure out, 
to embrace, you know, being in Kansas. Mm-hmm. And especially like during, you know, going into junior high, it was like the worst time in the world for me to do that. Uh, and so I wasn't outgoing. I wasn't like, hey, I want to be an actor because I'm, you know, this is something that I'm amazing at. Mm-hmm. It's just something that God had put in my heart about storytelling. And, uh, you know, and I had only done it maybe a couple times in my life. And so, so again, it gets back to that whole thing. I think all of us have these dreams and desires. And even if it doesn't make any sense, then there's a good chance that that's from from the Lord. Yeah. Well, and the fact that you had the desires that you did without being exposed to it all around you. I mean, I could see if you grew up, you know, watching Disney and watching, you know, all those Mickey Mouse kids, you know, that Britney Spears came up through and you go, oh, I want to be one of those. But you couldn't even do that because you probably never saw Mickey Mouse Club or whatever it was that sort of grooms yeah. child actors to become adult actors. And But that's testimony to the fact that it really was God in you. And that's what's so cool. Now, you write in your book about your parents insisting that you go to Moody Bible College for at least a year, mm-hmm. and that on your way to Moody Bible College, you wrote in your book that you were trying to figure out, okay, how can going to Moody Bible College further my film career? Now, I think that's just kind of funny, um, because that's not what Moody Bible College is all about. Did you learn something from Moody well, let me put it a different way. When you were at Moody, how did God use that to get you to Hollywood? Yeah. Well, you know, Moody <laughs> um, Moody isn't really drama-friendly. Uh, there's no movies. There's no plays. You know, there's really nothing there other than, you know, they do have a mime troupe. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, it's, it's, but, but what they do is my, my entire family had gone, graduated, and met their significant others there. My mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, they all got married and graduated from there. And so to go there for a year that my father had really put down, you know, that we always had to do this, I was like, well, maybe Chicago is a, you know, a world of movies and I can figure out, you know, something, something in the movie industry there. And well, about nine months into it, I, I called my parents and I said, um, Mom, Dad, I want to leave Bible school, and I want to go to Hollywood to be an actor. And what did they say? There was this really long silence on the phone. <laughs> I'll bet, yeah. And, um, you know, because the only time I'd ever brought this up to my father, I was in, I think I was like in ninth grade or something, and, uh, and he had said, David, you don't know how to sing and you don't know how to dance, so you certainly can't be an actor. That was the one time that he ever did it, and I never brought it up again. Mm. But they did something that I think is important for all parents to know, I certainly hope I do this in my life with my children in the future, is that they said, David, as long as you serve the Lord and keep him first in whatever you do, then we support you. Mm. And that was it. And then, you know, my parents ended up moving from Kansas that same year. So it wasn't like there was no home for me to go back to. Um, They moved to Canada of all places and nothing against Canadians. It's a wonderful country, but I don't really want to live there. And so I think that was, it's also interesting how God closes doors around us Mm -hmm. to make us do the things that he wants us to do. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, all the doors were closing around me and that's why. And obviously I could have stayed at Moody, but I really felt like that was not the place for me. And so I had to step out even in the midst of that fear, in the midst of the trepidation of like, how in the world I'm going to, I'm going to move to Hollywood at 19 years old without knowing a soul or without practically having any money. And I did that. You did right from Moody to Hollywood. Yeah. I mean, I stopped in San Diego for, I don't know, a few months because my, my sister lived in San Diego. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then I and then I moved up to Hollywood. You write in your book that um, you read a beautiful analogy. It's one of the neatest I've ever really read. You, you talk about your journey to success and how many people feel that it should be just a straight line up. You know, sort of at a, at a beautiful forty-five degree angle that goes up and up and up. You know, you start at place A, and your dream is um, at point B, which is the top of the curve, and you just go straight up. And you said. Um, Following our dreams is not like that. You're following your dream was riddled with pain and disappointment and confusion. And you use the analogy of rather than a, a straight line that just goes up and up, you talk about a string that you tie in a bunch of knots, put it in a ball, throw it on the ground, and trample on it. And that's the way most of our paths in pursuing our dreams go. And I love that because I thought, wow, is pursuing a dream really that messy? And for you, it was after you got to Hollywood, wasn't it? Yeah. The irony is that it wasn't it wasn't that messy up front. I mean, other than you know, you're I'm in Hollywood um, without knowing anybody. Uh, it was amazing how the Lord kind of hooked me up with different people. But I was also blessed. Six months after I was here, um, the Lord put me allowed me to go on a hit television show called Evening Shade with Burr Reynolds, mm-hmm. and I played the best friend. And I went on there with just with one line. Um, and then Bert developed a character for me and kept bringing me back. And I was on the show for almost probably three, three and a half years recurring. Um, and then I was able to do a bunch of other TV spots and it looked like my line was going to go straight up mm-hmm. being on a hit show six months after I'd been there and surrounded by all these legends, like, like evening shade was just, you know, Bert Reynolds had all his friends from like 20, 30 years on that show. It was an incredible experience. But then the the interesting thing is after the show ended, I did a bunch of different guest spots, but then the Lord, he opened Christian movies for me to star in different, these different films. But then the line got, got crookeder and crookeder, and then it started wrapping around, and by my mid to late 20s, that ball of yarn <laughs> got more and more tangled. Um, uh, you know, and so it wasn't, I use that analogy because life, is not like that. You know, life isn't a straight line for in any area of our lives. There's a lot of hardship in life. There's a lot of challenges. There's a lot of fear that comes in um, that we have to overcome. So parents, I hope you're enjoying my conversation with David A.R. White. We're going to pause for a moment. Don't go away. I would love to introduce you to BitsBox, a fantastic tool to engage your little one's developing mind, giving them the tools to create the technology they consume. BitsBox is a subscription box that arrives in the mail once a month full of app coding projects that teach curious kids as young as six to build real apps with real code for real devices. Kids can use BitsBox as soon as they can read and write using simple, easy-to-understand commands to create cool apps that really work. With BitsBox, kids get to program video games, puzzles, drawing tools, music apps, and more that they can use and share on any computer, tablet, or phone with a web browser. Listeners of Parenting Great Kids can get 20% off any BitsBox subscription at bitsbox.com forward slash Meg. Parents, not all screen time is created equal. Make sure your kiddos count with BitsBox. BitsBox. 
you told me of a great story, and I don't know if you'd want to share it, but you actually got to dance with Madonna, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I Can you did. just briefly tell us that? It's a great story, because I don't even know how you got in there to dance with Madonna. I mean, who gets to do that? You know, it was uh, it was one of my most embarrassing moments of my life uh, to date, I think. Um, I was It was in my first year out here. In fact, I, just, I think I just had gotten to town at that point, and I had a friend, I had one friend, and he was a dancer, and he had said, hey, I'm going to go audition for Madonna's World Tour. Do you want to come? And so I said, sure, you know, and again, I'm Mennonite. I'm my, Mennonite is my background, so I've never danced before. Like, I didn't go to my high school dances because Mennonites don't dance. <laughs> and so, um, but I thought, yeah, you know, and, I mean, if I could even, like, gl- you know, get a glimpse of Madonna, I think that would be incredible. <laughs> you know, she was, at the, she was at the peak of what she was doing at that point. And so, um, so we went there, and I'm stretching, or I'm not stretching, I'm, I'm standing there and, and you know, boots and a flannel shirt and like all these dancers are stretching uh, around me and uh you know i I look like i'm going to a barn dance (laughs) yeah and so the person says you know when we signed in uh you know when my when my buddy signed in they said are you here to audition as well and i I said um yeah yeah (laughs) yeah you know how in the world is this person possibly thinking that i'm i'm my boots you know (laughs) Yeah. thinking that I'm going to audition for this. Uh, but sure enough, so they called us in. There was 10 of us into this little room, and um, and Madonna was there, and she walked them, us in, and she had her two backup dancers, and they showed us, I think, that like the running man was in at the time, and the robot, and all these different dances <laughs> that I'd never heard of. Yeah. And, then, and then they only, you know, they really, I guess, if you've never been to a dancer's audition, they give you about... 30, 40 seconds mm-hmm. of showing you what the dance is. And then all of a sudden they just pump in the beat. Yeah. And all of a sudden I found myself in the dead center of these people dancing <laughs> around me while I tried to do a, a move. And at the end of it, um, at the end of it, the song, you know, uh, ended and, and Madonna said, okay, so I'm going to take five of you and five of you are going to have to stand off to the side. Let's see. Hmm. Who do I, who should I keep? Who should I keep? Who should I keep? And so, and one of her dancers whispers really loud, how about the white guy? <laughs> and they all laughed. And I said, I, 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 yeah, I get it. I get it. I, I walked off to the side. Anyway, uh, at the very end, Madonna was very kind to me. She shook my hand and she said, uh, you really made my day. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think that's one of the funniest stories. You know, our path to success is riddled with many, many odd happenings like that. And I think that sometimes just to not take ourselves so seriously and laugh along the way is so important. Because I think God uses humor and funny things like that, too, to just sort of say, Haha, I'm really in charge here. Oh, what a great story. Well, thank you for sharing that. We're talking about parents. I mean, we're talking about how parents can encourage their kids to pursue their dreams. And you talk in your book about five reasons some people never achieve their dreams. One, the dream was harder than they thought. Second, they were indecisive. They lacked self-confidence. They were unwilling to adapt along the way, and they faced spiritual conflict. Um, Who helped you get past all of those five? Or did you just sort of learn on your own? You know what? The biggest thing I think is that, that my parents instilled in growing up uh, a love for the Lord and to follow the Lord first and foremost in everything that I do. 
to get up every morning, to, to bend my knee and to say, Father, you take my dreams, you take the, my passions, my desires, all of this, and you do with them what you will. And so from an early age, I did that. And, and even though a lot of them, like, you know, like you were saying, didn't make sense, um, the day was not what I really wanted to do, um, I did it. And I did a lot of odd and end jobs throughout my time, you know, uh, both in Kansas and, and Chicago and then in, in Los Angeles. Um, but I, I, you know, and I made, you know, in, in the book I talk about the different mistakes that I made along the way. And hopefully that this book inspires people to, to be able to sidestep some of those issues. But, you know, no matter what in life, a lot of times <laughs> the things that we, you know, uh, as kids, we do, we're innocent in one way, which is, which is great because it allows us to do, I think, you know, we don't think about the consequences sometimes, but at the same token, um, I think this book will help hopefully, you know, um, cut down on some of those mistakes that you would have to make. You know, and I think one of the things that it did for me, David, because no matter how old you are, you're still living a dream. You still, you know, you want to get to a place that you sort of think is impossible. And it doesn't matter really what that goal is. A, a dream is a dream and everybody's dream is very personal. And, um, I think what the book did for me, however, was encourage me to keep going, which is what you really need when you're pursuing a dream, because um, sometimes you do end up sort of feeling like an idiot, or you do end up doubting yourself, or you do end up thinking, is this really what God wanted me to do? I mean, this just doesn't make any sense. But I think as a parent, wanting to encourage your kids to pursue their dreams I think it's really important that we as parents sort of help our kids figure out what what are the things that you want to do and what are the things that, that God wants you to do. And obviously, if you figure out what God wants you to do, that's the best for you. That's where it's really all going to work. How will you as a dad encourage your kids to pursue their dreams? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's in challenging them, you know, to to have realistic expectations of what it is that they're, they are dreaming, whether they're, you know, uh, what's the difference between wishes, dreams, and goals, you know, that we have to, we have to write effective goals. We need to, we need to understand the difference that sometimes these wishes, you can't just, you know, all of a sudden you're not going to be an astronaut. You know, it takes time to learn whatever that, whatever that dream is, that there are specific steps along the way in achieving that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it doesn't just happen overnight. And I think that's the thing that, you know, I, as obviously kids are different and, and I have three children, uh, ages three, six and 10 now. And so, um, I haven't slept in close to 10 years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I want to encourage them to whatever is in their heart, whatever the Lord has put in their heart, really seek that out and then, and then to, to chase after that, but do it in a way that you're not setting yourself up for failure. Mm-hmm. Whereas I have to be this um, immediately. You know, I think, I think a God given dream takes time. It takes, it takes, you know, God wants us to persevere. Yes, and to persevere and keep at it. And I think from a parent standpoint, I can only think of your parents who, maybe they didn't say it, but if I were your parents and I had raised you as a Mennonite and I wanted you to go to Moody Bible College to meet your spouse and to get on this, you know, good track in life, 
And I saw this desire in you to go to Hollywood, which was the antithesis of everything that I believed in and liked and wanted. I would have been pretty scared and felt, oh my gosh, my son has is going down a bad, bad path. But it really wasn't a bad path. It was the path God wanted for you, but it just didn't look like that to them. And so I just want to encourage parents out there to often what God has for your kids is very different from what you want for your kids. And we've got to be able to embrace that and sort of say, okay, you know, maybe maybe you are to do something that is very, very foreign to me. Um, and I just love the way your parents encouraged you. They just said, kind of keep your heart in the right place and it'll work okay. Yeah. I think that's a, a real challenge for a lot of parents to do because it's very, very hard. You live in Hollywood filled with glamour, a lot of money, a lot of fame, um, a lot of values that I'm sure, you know, you're not particularly keen on. A lot of parents aren't keen on them even living in there. How do you raise your kids and help them keep their wits about them out there? Yeah, see, it's an interesting thing because, uh, you know, as much as my one of my first jobs was rock picking in the uh, <laughs> in a field, picking rocks up. And, um, you know, as much in as Kansas. The, yeah. In, yeah okay. Well, actually, in Minnesota. Yeah. And, um, you know, as much as I don't want my kids to have to be, you know, picking rocks when they're 11 years old. There's the other side of you, though, that wants them to learn a good work ethic. Yes. And, um, you know, and I think that's a, it's a very difficult thing to do out here. I think it's in, in all in society today, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot more difficult. Unless maybe you're growing up on a farm, that it's probably easier. But in the cities all around the country, it's not easy, especially with all the, you know, the, um, the iPads and the phones and everything else, the, the games that, that, they're, that they're focused on. Um, it's a, it's a tough situation. So, you know, I try to do like what my parents did to me is they instilled the word of God in me from an early age. They ran scripture with me. And so every morning when I'm driving my kids to school, I run them, you know, they have to say at least three verses and I try to test, you know, and it's an interesting thing because Evie is three years old. So she knows one verse really well. So trying to get her to say another verse is, is difficult, but the six year old, my ocean is, is she's, she's, She's really expanding her, her her verses. And then my 10-year-old, of course, knows a lot more. And so it's like trying to instill that God's word in their heart from an early age um, that they won't, you know, you can, you can look to the left, you can look to the right in so many different areas of your life, but just stay on the right path. Yeah. And with that, obviously, then, then you lay out your, you know, your, the goals along the way that they can achieve to, you know, to accomplishing the dreams that God has for them. Yeah. Well, I love that. It's sort of, you know, making making sure that you keep the main thing the main thing and rooting them in a relationship with God and hiding God's word in your heart and just keeping that plumb line in them always. Um, we only have a couple more minutes, and I just I just need to ask you about God's Not Dead and God's Not Dead 2. Um, you starred in it, and you produced God's Not Dead and God's Not Dead 2, and they're both blockbuster movies. What did you learn? Well, you know, obviously, God's Not Dead one when it came out, it was a, it was an interesting thing. I learned about the faithfulness of God, and really, we were we felt called to do an apologetic movie, um, something that you know um, that we felt was important for our time, uh, and that was the that was the whole startup of God's Not Dead. And then we we as a company, we had been in business for about ten years, and we were we had been doing DVD movies mostly, and we we had really believe that God was leaning us to this next step of theatricals. 
And so you had these different, you know, in, in same thing like in the book, it talks about these, you know, getting to these certain levels in our careers, um, following our dreams. And for us, that the Lord had taken a, had taken PureFlix on its road. You know, our dream was always to make content uh, on a consistent basis. And so, and then it and then it was the next step of okay, well, moving forward, you know, God always gives us these dreams, and they're never really um, uh, they're not comfortable. Yeah. God takes you know, a biggest thing is like is is your dream bigger than you? And um, for us, it was taking these movies out theatrically because all of a sudden you have to raise a tremendous amount of money. Um, to, to go to the theaters, you have to actually figure out how can you go to the theaters and then market to uh, everyone. And so with God's Not Dead, the amazing thing happened is that, um, that the weekend it came out, it had broken all these records. Hollywood all of a sudden woke up to the faith world um, and what they didn't understand, you know, they didn't understand it. They were like, how in the world did, did your little movie that cost, you know, $1.2 million dollars um, all of a sudden do 9.7 in the box office opening or 9.3. I think we did the opening weekend. Mm. And, um, you know, and then it, it, of course it continued to break all the records. It ended up becoming the number one, uh, live action film of that year, independent live wow. action film of the year. Um, and it, and it, you know, there's a lot of other, um, stories along with it that are in the book with it. But, um, but what was amazing was that just, it was the faithfulness of the Lord that we had, we had, you know, I think for two years with PureFlix, we did not have a salary just mm. to keep our doors open. And so, you know, my wife and I and my partners had to sell everything we had um, to, to sustain our company that we really felt like the Lord wanted us to keep going. Wow. And then here we are, you know, God, again, it was like the faithfulness of the Lord. And I saw it in my life many years before, you know, moving to Hollywood and having that dream. And then here I did, you know, the Lord had given us this, this dream to, to do this production company, um, this specific way here in Hollywood. And, And nobody had really ever done it before or had done it successfully and, and been able to keep their doors open for very long. And all of a sudden the Lord then just blew open the doors with God's not dead. And so, so I always come back to the faithfulness of the Lord over many, many, many years of doing what I felt like he had called me to do um, for such a time as this. But you know, what strikes me, David, as you talk, yes, he's incredibly faithful to you. Um, but you were to him as well. You know, you gave him easy material to work with. I mean, selling everything you have to keep this alive takes a lot of faith. And I think there are a whole lot of people out there who are listening to you who'd say, oh, you know, that's good, but ah, gee whiz, I don't know if I'd go that far to, you know, pursue what I believe God wants me to do. But I think that pursuing your dreams often requires that kind of faith from us, and that's hard. It is hard. It's not easy, but but again, I, I truly believe that if you if you live God's dream that He has put in your heart. Now, again, you have to figure out that if it's from the Lord or if it's just something that that is man made that you you know that you're craving inside of yourself for yourself. But if it's truly from God, then I believe that He will not allow you to fail. 
what great wisdom to end on. We are out of time, and I need to say, David, that I am certainly glad that being a mime didn't work out for you, and I'm very glad that you were a Madonna choreography dropout because you are inspiring a whole lot of people out there today. And I hope that all of our listeners are inspired by your story of God's faithfulness to you, your pursuing a dream, and of your faithfulness to God. So thank you so much, David. Uh, Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You bet. My guest has been David A.R. White, author of Between Heaven and Hollywood. And David, how can people find out more about you or get a copy of your book? Yeah, you know, you can always get information on me or whatever we're producing or working on um, at davidarwhite.com. And the book, of course, it's available everywhere or ordered on Amazon or going to Christian bookstores or even the mainstream ones. Wonderful. A great read. Highly encouraging and very inspiring. And so I, I really highly encourage all of our listeners to get a copy and read it. Thanks so much, David. It's been great visiting with you. You too. Thank you. All right, let's get social. I want to hear from you and interact with you. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can go to megmeekermd.com and click on the links. You can send me a question on Facebook or email it to me at askmeg at megmeekermd.com or send me a tweet at megmeekermd. I have a terrific question here from Jason, and Jason writes... Hi, Dr. Meg. I've got a great three-and-a-half-year-old son. He's full of life, he's got lots of energy, and he's a great kid. He does a good job of responding to his mother and I about 90% of the time, so it's the other 10% that I wanted to ask you about. At times, it's like he's completely zoned out, usually when it's time to clean up or stop playing. He gets engaged in what he's doing and won't respond to us, like he doesn't even hear us. We get to the point where we have to yell his name just to get him to look up from what he's doing. So I guess I'd like to know if zoning out is normal behavior for young boys. Thanks. Jason, I would put money on the fact that your son is your first child. Because once you have a three-year-old like this, and then your second three-year-old, you will look back when you have your second three-year-old and go, wow, was I lucky with my first three-year-old. Having a three-and-a-half-year-old who responds well to you 90% of the time is extraordinarily good odds because most parents would say three-year-olds respond well to them about 50% of the time. So, Jason, you're in really, really good shape. Here's what's happening. Your son engages in what's called parallel play. In other words, he's not in an age where he wants to interact with other people and play games a lot. In other words, he likes to play by himself with certain things and he gets very immersed and engrossed in what he's doing. Whether it's a game, whether it's a video, um, whether it's playing with his trucks, it doesn't matter. He gets lost in that play world all by himself. So, that's why he's not listening to you. He's just having a lot of fun. So, this is what I would encourage you to do. When you need him to finish a task, you give him a warning. You say to him, son, in 10 minutes, you're going to have to finish playing and go up to your room and get ready for bed. You can even put a little kitchen timer on and let it click right next to him. When there's five minutes left, one minute left, son, 
one more minute, the dinger's going to go off pretty soon. And when it dings, it's time to go up and go to bed. So you need to give him warning and gently work him out of his play trance, if you will. A lot of this is behavioral. A lot of this is age appropriate. You have a very healthy, normal, wonderful three and a half year old boy on your hands. And aside from just trying those warnings with a kitchen clock or giving him warning when he's going to have to transition from playing to doing something different, you're in great shape. Just enjoy your little boy. As always, parents, keep sending me your questions at askmeg at megmeekermd.com or send me a tweet at megmeekermd. Friends, helping kids pursue their dreams can be frightening for parents. It means learning to see who our kids really are who they want to be, and helping them find their way to use their natural gifts for the good of others. It's tricky. It's a daunting task because it requires good parents to know their kids really well. And for us to be open to the possibility that our children may grow up to be someone that we didn't anticipate. In other words, helping kids pursue their dreams, not ours, at times can feel disappointing for us. And I bet that David's parents at some point might have felt disappointed along the way while he was pursuing his dream. But good parents must let go of their agenda in order to let their kids' real giftedness shine. Friends, this has been a great time, and I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. I'd like to thank my special guest, David A.R. White, for talking about pursuing his dream. And as we parents go forward and think about what we can do for our kids, let me recap my points to ponder. Learn to know your child very well. Encourage your child to pursue goodness and encourage them to pursue dreams that use their natural gifts, not just the gifts that we want them to have. So friends, remember, great kids are raised, not born. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Parenting Great Kids. You can like Dr. Meg on Facebook and follow her on Twitter at MegMeekerMD. Just as a reminder, go to MegMeekerMD.com and sign up for the newsletter for giveaway opportunities and updates so that when her new book comes out, you'll be the first to know. And don't forget to share the podcast, write us a review, and click subscribe.